Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Horror on the Orient Express, where we've arrived in Constantinople. After many a long weeks and months, and for my fellow cast members' years of recording, we are finally here, and I cannot wait for this portion of the journey. And so, we're going to thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting the patron. For those of you who've subscribed on YouTube, we appreciate that as well. We have an awful lot to get to in this session, and so we'll just get to cast introductions, which begin to my right. Hello, this is Mike, and today I'll be playing Fred Bolton. I'm a cheerful Cockney Sparrow. Hi, I'm Rena, and usually I play Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy, but this time I'm going by Anne Bartlett. Very good. And to Miss Bartlett's right. Hi, this is Giles, and I'm playing Lewis Castle, also known as Simon Griffith. And nobody expects the Lady E-Inquisition. Some of us do. Some of us, quite frankly, think it's um, a little overdue. Uh, and to Simon's right. Hey, this is Miranda, and I usually play Maggie Bellinger, currently playing Bernice Wells, who is a seems to be a better driver than Maggie. She didn't hit anyone with her car. That's very true. And we are still in the missing Professor Courtney formation, or as inconstantial, he'll be known as Fabian Gano, rogue, playboy, and shirtless wonder. And so we'll raise the curtain tonight on Constantinople and the inner workings of a city most old. So the roads here, Miss Bellinger, are perilous to say the least. And I say that because not of some... Uh, massive potholes, not because there are gravel here and there rather than finished roads. It is the simple fact of the matter that Constantinople was built by people who walked places. It has been modified and it has grown into a city which can accept carts. It has not come of age with the automobile. And so it is taking likely one, if not two, men on either side, on the running boards of the Packard that you're driving, shooing people out of the way or alerting them that you're coming because you want people to know when you're coming. The horn only works so much. That sounds like the perfect job for for Freddie and Lewis. I agree. uh, Can you two, there's so many people in the way. Can you, shoo them, shoo them out of the way. Well, uh, it's like, Cut out and walk walk ahead of the, the car, gesticulating. You can certainly do that if that's what you'd like to do. Yeah, so I'll, 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 I'll get out and uh, I've got a walking stick. So I'm going to um, just kind of shoo people out of the way in order to uh, make enough of a path for the car to, to plow through these uh, crowded streets. Indeed, you are not the only one doing that. There are other automobiles, two, three that you see here on the roads, and they have people 
who are doing the same. Now, there's one car that's maybe a two-thirds the size of yours. And there's a man on the running board nearby who's using a long whip. And he's making the bullwhip crack every few times that the car begins to push ahead, just trying to get people to move out of the way. It does. People get the the horns, the, the bullwhips, that they eventually get the idea. But you find people here are so focused on just going about their daily lives that sometimes they just don't get out of the way. If memory serves, I, I spent a little bit of time poring over information on Constantinople in order to get a bit of an idea of the, the lie of the land. Mm-hmm. So would I be able possibly to um, recollect that and get an idea of where we are and where somewhere we can, we can stay might be and how to, you know, the best way to get there? Well, you do know that Simon has been given information on a safe house that you're supposed to go to where this contact is at. For the group of you, uh, you would have entered clearly from the West moving East and you would enter past the walls of Constantinople, right? So these city, very famous city walls are enormous. And you would be in a section of the city that you would have read about called Stambul, which is the, the sort of the beginning place of where most of sort of the, the rest of the, the city residents live. But the deepest section of the city, the one that is near the water, is the, the, the Bosphorus River itself is where you're going to want to be. And that is essentially as far west as you can possibly get. That's where the railway station is. That's where the very well-known monuments are. So whether it be the Imperial University or whether it be the Hippodrome or whether it be the Grand Bazaar, that sort of thing, all that stuff is deeply packed for the most part into the, the main core of the city. That's where you're driving to. Okay, so we, we've kind of got our bearings and we know where we're headed, yeah? Yeah, for the most part. Uh, Simon has uh, directions that he's been sort of feeding to Maggie over her shoulder. And she's making adjustments as best he can. These are like any city that you've never been in. When someone gives you directions, there's a lot of looking for navigational points or you may have directions, but it's unfamiliar. Also, all the signs here, at least 80% of them are written in Arabic. And so you're not as familiar with some of the stuff. There's some stuff that's written in English, but that's only the most popular places, likely more touristy destinations. And it doesn't look like your directions go that way anyway. Okay, well, I'll, I'll just keep um, clearing the, the crowds. Simon, Simon, are you up to uh, giving me a hand here? Lewis, Lewis. Um, Lewis, Lewis, I'm sorry, sorry, I. Lewis, can you help me here? Hey, Fred, I'm, I'm still giving directions to, to Bernie here. You know where we are, though, where we're heading. It's written down here. I, I can't see that, but I'm, I'm, I'm out here. I'm clearing the crowds. Right, and if I go out there... Shout me then. Shout, shout me which way to go. Left. At the next left. Hey, you! Get out of the way! I'm moving through here! Come on! Make way! Make way! So, Miss Bellinger, I'm going to have you make a navigation roll. Okay. We could, we could get there faster walking at this point. I'll give you a, um, an additional, we'll just say an, an advantage die to make that a straight roll. If it's just a straight roll, then it would have been a 10. 
Yes, for the assistance that your two um, cohorts are uh, giving you, yes. So you make your way both west and north. A little bit of a serpentine route after entering the city. You go down one of the main streets, and after a little while, uh, mostly when you get near the Imperial University, that is when you begin to hook left, which, as uh, as Simon mentioned, uh, and you begin to travel in that way sort of north. So you pass by the Imperial University, and then eventually on your right is the Grand Bazaar. As you head north, you eventually get into a smaller section of town that is a little less busy, and you come upon what looks like a house. Bernie, this is where we're supposed to be stopping, I think. Right here, Bernie hits the brakes. Are there gates that need to be opened or anything like that? Yes, there is a a set of gates here that need to be opened. Okay, well, if they're not locked, then I will, uh, I'll do that so the car can pass through. Okay. The car is able, after a moment or two, to pass through. So what are we looking at here? Once once we go through, are we kind of, are we kind of going into a, a, a yard with um, the main house and the outbuildings, that kind of thing? Yeah, so there is a yard here with um, a, a sort of postage stamp-sized yard, as we would call it here, a small yard. And then it looks like there's an outbuilding or what we might call a garage that is on the property. And then there's a house. And it doesn't look like a traditional garage like you would might think. This looks more like a secondary structure that's built that probably has enough space to fit the vehicle in. And this is where we're to go to this this outbuilding. This is where Simon's instructions have led him to. Um, I'll open the, the doors of uh, this building, if there are any, um, in order that the car can drive into it. Mm-hmm. It's a large sliding door. Come on, come on in. That's it. Straight in. You drive the uh, auto in. The Packard sputters. It's been really used these past few uh, hours here, especially with the, the changes in elevation. And then, of course, all of your side, you know, petrol stops and road snacks and bathroom breaks and pictures by, you know, large inflatable items, that sort of thing. It's been one heck of a trip, but you are able to get it inside and then close this big sliding door shut. And then you're in what well, looks like a big storage area. Once the car's in and the engine's stopped, I'll open the back door and offer my hand. Uh, Miss Barnett, if you'd uh, allow me to assist you. Thank you very much. Maggie gets herself out of the car with no assistance from a man. Okay. Paul reaches in and grabs hold of Richard in the front seat. Lou will also help Paul with the professor. The sedative I gave him seems to be working. So, uh... We stay here. We we go into the main building. This doesn't look much more than a a garage. So we just wait here. Well, I think we should give it a look around. You can clearly hear that Lou is trying to not speak with an accent. It's difficult. Well, uh, Lewis, uh, I'll uh, I'll accompany you then if uh, we're surveying the uh, the property. Making sure it's secure and so forth. Maggie, where are you going? I want to make sure everything that is 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 secure here. I honestly, I would probably go with. I might even go with them to like look around the place. Simon, Simon, did they give us any more information about this? Should just be 
a sort of safe house for us, correct? No one should be here looking for us. Sorry, Lou, Lou. I don't think there will be anyone else here, Bernie. Oh, well then I'll, 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 I will be careful, but I'll head into the main building. You do that. Is that, uh, is that? Where we're supposed to be lying low in the main building? I thought you said it was supposed to be in this outbuilding. Look, it doesn't say where we're supposed to be heading. I've got these notes. Well, what did, what, what, what did, is it Dr. Pearson, Major Pierce? I'm not sure. What did, what did he say? Technically, it's both. And it's all written here, and it doesn't say. Well, can I, do you mind? May I, may I see? So I'll have a, a look at the notes. The notes are fairly shorthand. So they give rough instructions, you know, after entering the city, here are the directions you're supposed to take, here are the streets that you take, park the car in the store, you know, in the storage building outside on the property, and the space should be safe for you to use, you know, for your advances on the mission at hand. But it says that there's a translator that's going to meet us there? The note does not say that, but Pierce said that to Simon. So, what about this this, this translator? Where, where's he meeting us? Well, he's supposed to meet us here. You know, I, I'm just not going to mess with trying to not speak like normal. He's supposed to meet us here, and um, I don't know if we have the run of the place or just the garage or whatnot, but we got to be careful. When is he meeting us here? Doesn't say. But did you not ask him? I mean, come on, Simon. We need we need we need some more concrete information here. The major didn't say, and I didn't ask, and also I was pretty much, you know, not exactly all there. I had gotten the crap beaten out of me by five prison guards. Have you ever been in a Turkish prison conscious yet? Simon, I, I appreciate you've had, a, you've had a rough time. I can see how badly you, you've been hurt during the course of this. I, d- I don't mean to push, but you, you can understand we're under a considerable amount of stress here. And the more information we have, the better. We don't know whether we're supposed to use the main house or we're, we're supposed to stay in this garage. We don't know how we're supposed to get in touch with this translator, when he's supposed to come, where he's supposed to come. It all seems very vague. You, you see my point? Let's just go ahead and head into the main house. We'll figure it out. If there's space out here in the garage, maybe one of us can go ahead and roof over their car or something like that. You know, like a chauffeur's room. What not? It doesn't matter, but let's get a move on. The translator will be here when they are here. The key thing is we are here in Constantinople. There's probably food in the house. We're all tired. Let's unpack, figure out what we need to get since we don't have all our luggage, and plan accordingly. So we are, we are allowed in the house. And, all right, that's, that's, that's fine. That's a good start. Not only that, but hey, you know... It, it's better to ask forgiveness than to ask permission, you know. Yes, I appreciate that. Yes, well, let's let's go to the house. This, I mean, this this garage doesn't doesn't seem like the sort of place we can actually stay. It doesn't seem big enough. It must be the house. I, I have a question for you, Miss Bellinger. Are you waiting around during this conversation, or are you just heading to the house? Not really. I I had already said I was going to head up. You guys look around, and Maggie's gone. Yeah, so you head to the house. Are you taking your steamer trunk to the house as well with your body parts? Dragging it behind me mm-hmm. as it 
it hits the ground as it runs over every rock and the bump on the way. I like the visual of that, so yes. You get to the house, but you do hit hit the stones that make up the pathway to the house. And uh, by the time you get there, there the back door is being held open by a young gentleman in a sort of khaki-colored shirt and uh, probably similar pants. He's got brown boots on that seem a little worn from the trail. He's got longer, straight, dark hair. It's longer than most men would wear their hair, at least that that you're around, probably shoulder-length straight hair. And he is watching you walk up. He has sort of a strange smirk on his face. Hello, I believe my party and I were expected here. Absolutely, come on in. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, could you help me, please? Certainly. He steps over and grabs the strap on the front of the steamer trunk and then pulls it up with a fairly easy lift. If you uh, head inside, there's uh, iced tea. Oh, uh, that would be that would be nice. Thank you. Are you okay? He sort of half points to your arm. I'm perfectly fine. Sure thing. Shoulders the trunk and heads inside and sets it down. And inside the house is relatively um, simple. It's not doesn't have a ton of luxuries about, but there are uh, several different sized couches that make up the entry space here, or just beyond the entry space here. Um, there's a small kitchen where there's tea. And um, it looks like there are some sort of... Maybe those are sandwiches? You're awful hungry. Um, is this... I, I can have one of these then? Is that a sandwich or...? Certainly. Oh, also, I question, do you have a change of clothes here that would fit a lady of my size? Yes, unfortunately, I, I lost, seem to have lost my bag. That is unfortunate. There are a few bedrooms upstairs. Um, you can certainly claim one. There is a central hallway upstairs that has a, well, I suppose the, a linen closet is its best explanation, but there are several different types of um, clothing in there that you might be able to utilize if you're looking to freshen up. Oh, uh, thank you. May you'll make her way to get first dibs on bedroom, find a change of clothes, and then take this current outfit and tear it into strips for future bandaging purposes. That's very utilitarian of you. Thank you. So the rest of the investigator party arrives in the house and uh, you see the steamer trunk that Maggie came in with. You don't see Maggie, of course, but you do see a the aforementioned gentleman. Uh, so long, dark hair, mostly khaki clothes, boots. I would say that he's fit. He's probably around 5'10", maybe um, 170 pounds. He um, greets you as you approach the door. This is a screen door, by the way, right? So there's the inner house door, and then there's this outer screen door, which you can see your approach through whenever you arrive at the house, of course. Much more like it. Hello. Hello. He has a distinctly American accent. A pleasure to make your acquaintance, Mr. Uh... You can call me Jonah. Jonah. Nice to meet you. You may call me Anne. Nice to meet you, Anne. He smiles, um, sort of a wry smile. There's some um, fresh tea, uh, iced tea, if you're familiar with that type. 
and uh, sandwiches, just places to set your stuff. And there's a main entry space that we're using here, um, sort of a converted uh, sitting room. Afternoon, Jonah. Afternoon. I'm going by Lewis, and uh, uh, are you our liaison or our translator or both? I'm the man with all the answers. Understood. Yes, uh, it's very, uh, very nice to meet you, uh, Jonah. You can, you can call me Frederick. Certainly, Frederick. You have all the answers, eh? Seemingly every single one of them. You know uh, why we're here? I know what I need to know about why you're here. I understand you're here to do something very important. My job is to facilitate you in getting that done. Excellent, excellent. There are uh, a few pieces of information that uh, we might pick your brains for in that case. Uh, the location of certain uh, establishments, shall we say, and so forth. Paul comes Certainly. in with the rest of the items, the rest of the steamer trunks that people haven't collected, and then sort of sets them about. Ah, Leonard, um, allow me to introduce Jonah. Jonah, this is Leonard. They shake hands. I'm going looking for a change of clothes. Yeah, so just to inform everyone as we continue, um, Jonah would let people know where bedrooms were, changes of clothes, food, bathrooms, etc. He says that when you're all ready and refreshed, we should have a discussion in the sitting room here about what you need. That's uh, very much appreciated. Uh, I think the first thing that I would uh, like, if, if you have such a thing, is a nice cup of tea. Yeah, we have tea here. I'm sure the professor here, once he uh, uh, once he's uh, feeling a, a little more himself, uh, would be uh, very grateful of one as well. Yeah, he does look out of it. He's had a very grueling journey. Yeah, haven't we all? Well, it, it appears that Bernie and Anne don't have their luggage, so uh, perhaps the two of us should uh, take them shopping. I think we're fine with what we have here. Uh, Lou? That works. I would rather not take any more time than we need to before getting down to business, to be quite honest, considering, well, everything that's going on, we don't know how much time we have. So let's get down to business, shall we? We have work to do. So I'll, um, I'll go in, I'll deal with my possessions, uh, whatever it is that we've managed to bring with us. Hopefully I have got um, at least some form of self-defense uh, in amongst them. That is actually going to come down to a luck roll for you. Okie dokie. So what I had is a thirty-eight revolver, um, a Webley, and the Lupara, and my rifle as well. So what uh, what would you like in the way of luck rolls for those? It's just a single luck roll. Just a single luck roll. Yep. That's a hard success. Okay. So... When Pierce and his people were securing your luggage, they managed to collect your luggage, which included all of your basic equipment that you have in your character. Excellent, thank you. So I'll bring my stuff up to whatever room I'm staying in. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that the, this place is big enough. We've got a room each, or are we sharing rooms? Uh, room each. Okay, and I'll bring her ladyship's um, luggage up as well, whatever it is that we've uh, managed to retrieve of that. Which is not much. Probably unpack, and if we're uh, in a kind of situation where we've got a little, a little bit of time in order to kind of gather ourselves, 
I'll at the very least put on a change of clothing. If possible, I'll you know have a, a wash at a hand basin or a bath or something like that if we've got time for that. Yeah, I'm sure you'd have time to clean up, certainly. After that, the group assembles downstairs. Um, yes, um, Jonah, it, it sounded like you may have some information for us, or? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it depends on what you're looking for. He steps over to the sitting area, having already brought over the sandwiches and this teapot. When he comes over with up from around in the kitchen area, he has what looks like a bottle of brown alcohol with him and a glass. I suppose uh, you know the city fairly well. Am I correct in that assumption? I know it all right, yeah. We are particularly looking for a place, I don't know if it goes by any other names, but uh, the name we know it by is the Shunned Mosque. Have you heard of that at all? There are an awful lot of mosques in Constantinople. I don't know any of them that are called the Shunned Mosque. Hmm, I think this is somewhere very old. I rather suspected it might not be uh, called that in uh, common parlance. Do you have a map of the city? Um, any um, historical reference points that we might be able to uh, ascertain the location of, of somewhere that might have been referred to by some as a, a shunned mosque? I can provide you with a map to the city, but you know, it's probably three or four years old at this point. Maps of Constantinople take a lot of time to produce, and accuracy is something else. Also, if you want a good, accurate map of Constantinople, you'll be getting one from an Arab scholar. And then, of course, that scholar is going to produce it in Arabic. Yes, of course. Well, we'll need a translator for that. Luckily, I'm that as well. Excellent, excellent. Um, the other thing that uh, I suppose would be useful for us is, is uh, if you have any contacts in, in the city, uh, in any places of... Uh, of information and learning and so forth that uh, we might be able to delve into the uh, the history of the city and uh, perhaps try and uh, get some indication of where this 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 place is that we're looking for. Well, the Imperial University is one place that you could take a look at, but honestly, most of the real intelligence in the city is going to be near the bazaar. There's a, a group of scribes that hang out near the bazaar and they can do some pretty in-depth work if they're paid well enough. What about um, these scribes? Do they have a, do they have a historical knowledge of, uh, of the city? Oh, certainly. They've all been educated at the university. The only thing that I would caution you on is picking the right one to work with. Well, I, this, I suspect, is where your uh, knowledge and expertise will come in handy. I can point you to the right person, at least last I knew. Malik is a good scholar, and um, he's much more forward-thinking than he is historically, let's just put it that way. He likes the idea that in the future, Constantinople will be called Istanbul. He likes the idea of all of the reforms that Kamal is presenting. He even supports him moving the capital to Ankara. I see... And uh, Malik, does he speak English or would we require you to translate for us if we were to uh, ask him some questions about uh, about the city, about where this shunned mosque might be, what it might be? 
Perhaps it's not within the city itself. Perhaps it's outside the city. Perhaps it's uh, something that uh, a ruin has been built over the top of. I, I'm, I'm merely speculating here. Yeah, you can spin yourself in circles speculating with this city. Malik speaks enough English to get by, but the thing you need to remember about this city, unlike some of the places you might be from, say, London-ish area, the amount of adult literacy, the rate is really high. So not a lot of people read more than the things that they need to. That's why scribes get so used. That's also why they're expensive to get their services. Now, with Malik, I can probably get us a good rate. It's not like he won't need some money. Of course. Uh, yeah, that, that, that goes without saying. Uh, that, and that was going to be my next question. What uh, what would be a, a fair rate for uh, the services of someone who could provide us with the information that we're looking for? As a daily rate, if you want first-class service, if you want his utmost and immediate attention, it's probably, probably five pounds sterling a day. But that'll wipe his calendar clear for anything but what you're asking. I think given the uh, situation that we are in and, and the the pressing nature uh, in terms of timescales, I think that is a small price to pay. Wouldn't you say? Look around at everyone. Couldn't agree more. We're running short on time. Well, let us waste no time. Um, Perhaps um, if you have maps that I might uh, begin perusing just for the layout, and then I can, uh, if necessary, ask you some questions about the uh, translations. Uh, uh, Perhaps you might either point us in the direction of this fellow Malik or um, make arrangements uh, to procure his services. Uh. Certainly. He passes you a rolled of, uh, several sheafs of paper that are rolled up. This is the city cut into quarters. It's the best way to view it. I'll stop pouring over the maps. <laughs> Anybody else? Lou's going to look over the maps with Freddy there. I will be needing some... Uh... Translation assistance. Okay. What language to what language? Uh, Arabic to English, preferably. Some real Rosetta Stone stuff, huh? Okay. Yes, well, I can't control what languages things are written in now, can I? Well, nobody's blaming you. Okay, so what is it? He sort of gives, claps his hands together and sits down on the couch. Slightly trepidatious about passing him the tome, considering what happened the last time I gave someone a tome to read, but here we are. Okay, so you you pass him the tome. Be careful. I'll try not to break it. Don't break yourself, more like. Oh, one of those books. Yes. Okay. So, if you're familiar with where the text is, do you want to direct me to it? Yeah, I'll open it to the pages I was looking at earlier. Mm. He sort of looks at the side of one of these pages. It looks like blood. Nothing to worry about. I'm not worried yet. Those of you who are seeing the inside of this tome for the first time see a series of gory and defamed pictures. All sorts of graphic experiences on display. Whether it be the more medieval-style artistry where someone is beginning to slit the throat of a person while four or five people kneel nearby as if they're awaiting their doom next. There's another picture of a man carving his the skin off of his body. This is something that gets you really interested, Maggie, when that page opens and you see, like, 
Oh, I that that's interesting. Why would you be doing that? Hmm. Maggie's got a hard lean going at that point. Lou is making an obvious effort to stay focused on the maps. This is not something he is meant to see. Why? There's what, um, about 10 pages of text here? All right. It'll take me a little time, but I'm a quick study. I thought it might. Just judging it, it'll probably take me about two days to translate. All right. Not much to be done about it. And I'd rather you be accurate than over hasty. Okay. It's important. Yeah. I have got a little bit of the uh, briefing from, um, we'll just say a work associate on what you're doing here. Then you know how essential it is. I do. All right. So I'll sit in on this uh, pretty much straight away. In a day or two, you'll have your translation. What you do with it past that is totally up to you. I understand. Thank you. I'll take a break introduce you to Malik and then you can give him whatever research project you think you might need to hand off to him other than that I'm gonna ideally hope that you stay low I have no intention of doing otherwise looking around at everybody else probably briefly look up from the maps that I'm trying to make sense of and nod in agreement so how much do you know about the Brotherhood of Skin Miss Bellinger you heard Jonah say I, I know hardly anything. All I know is that the skinless one will not be denied. He maintains his eye contact with you and just nods. What do you know? I know that it's a cult that's operated in secret here inside the city for decades, if not more. I know that it was once thought snuffed out hundreds of years ago, if only to resume its deadly tasks. I know that in the past month or so, they've been on a, we'll just say a bit of a rampage when it comes to kidnapping. I know they're preparing for something. How many people have they kidnapped? 19, 20? Two or three score at this point from my counts. It's even hit the papers finally. I know that they're very careful. I know that they're well-funded and I know they're after you. Oh, I'm... I'm certain of that as well. They've been following me since, well, we left London. It's an awful lot of people they're gathering. For what, I can only imagine. He takes the the drink that he has in one hand and sort of a flare. He sort of gestures to the tome. If the ritual in there is what I think it might be and what I think it could be using, I got a feeling they're going to kidnap more people before this is all over. Oh, what might it be? What, what's the, what ritual? Just something I'm working on, Miss Bellinger. Oh, well, uh, do, do you mind sharing with the class since we are all in this together? Not yet. It's not ready. Maggie, I'm going to make a psychology roll on you. Okay. If you would like to attempt to be deceitful, you can attempt to charm. That's a fair one. You could persuade. You could potentially fast talk, depending upon which one you like. Oh, I'm much more charming than anything else. Fantastic. Art imitates life. So if you're trying to be uh, overt about your desire to know more, this is the role you need to make. Oh, okay. That is... uh, With my disadvantage of 69 under 70. 
Nice. So you pass just barely with a 69. It's an opposed roll, so we'll just play on from there. Okay. Jonah finishes his drink and pours another. The cult's here. This is its power base. It's going to sit in the shadows. It's going to fill in the cracks until it's ready to strike. Well, I, 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 they've been waiting to strike for a long time. You have what they want. Oh, I'm aware. Yes, we, we did do a lot of the legwork for them. And the arm and the torso and the head, all of pieces. But it, it felt a necessary evil. We had to do it because if we didn't have, I know that we brought it to them, but if we didn't do it, then they would have found someone else or they would have done it themselves. It's safer in our hands than it is in theirs. Mm. How do you feel about that, Frederick? Can I look up from the map? I don't like any of this. That goes against everything I thought I knew. But I've seen too much in the last few weeks and months to deny that there's something coming. And it looks like we're the only ones that stand between it and the terrible consequences that uh, will occur if these people should get what they want. Yeah, you probably are. I've done work for our mutual business friend a few times. Work in Germany, through Paris and London. Every single case he's involved in is always terrible. No fun little research projects. It's always the end of the world. If uh, we are to believe that this thing can do what it appears it can... And even from the, 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 the fraction of information that I know or even understand about it, we have no choice but to, to try and stop it. Yeah. And it beggars belief. The kind of methods that these people use, the, the kind of goals that they might have, it, it's obscene in its scope. And they seem to have, or at least we have encountered things that I would not even credit with, with being possible, let alone something that I would confront face to face. But there it is. It's happened. We, we've been there. And unless this is, this is all some kind of horrible dream, then... I wish. And if, if uh, your associate... If, 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 as you say, that he and, and you and uh, others that walk that path that, that you walk, if you've encountered other things like this, other, uh, other situations, other people who, who have access and, and, and the inclination to, to, to follow the, these horrific, un, unnatural, ungodly motivations and, and, and beliefs, then... Well, I, 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 I don't know how you stay sane for a first thing, you know. I, I, I don't know how you have the strength to go through it time and time again. It's... Well, in my first encounter with anything what I would consider unnatural, I did a few months of recovery in a hospital afterwards. Same thing happened after my second, actually. I don't... I don't know if this time will be any different. Personally, 
if I can hang out here at the house long enough for you to do what you need to do and accomplish your goals, I'd be perfectly happy. I can well understand it. You have my sympathy and my admiration, so if you have uh, if you have managed to stand against this, this this kind of situation not once but twice or more, then stout heart and strong will. Well, don't count yourself out of that whole list there. You made it this far. I somehow we did. I Well, I suppose if it's all the same to you, he gestures towards you, Lady Elizabeth. I am going to begin my work here. We can speak with uh, Malik in the morning. And by now, he's he's already gone for supper and eventually bed. And it'll be useless trying to track him down. I do not recommend the streets of Constantinople to visitors at night. Please begin. I don't intend to go out this evening. I think your advice is very solid, personally. Suddenly look very tired. All right, well, I'll leave you all to it. Hopefully your night is peaceful. Picks up the bottle and the book and heads upstairs. Oh, um, one last thing that could be of use to you. There's a patio upstairs on the roof. You can get a lay of the land fairly well from where we're at. It's also pretty peaceful up there. He heads upstairs. That seems to put a great deal in order for the moment. I'm having trouble coming to terms with the fact that this is not the only expedition of this kind. That uh, our our friend here's uh, associates, business partner, commanding officer, surgeon, doctor, medical practitioner. I, I I don't know. I don't even know what he is. Remember, Fraser, the other fine people we met on the train that one time. We already knew there were others looking for things. Oh, it seems so long ago. It does. Hey, Jim. Lady E, if I could interrupt for a moment. Of course. Please, Simon. It makes a kind of sense because these things that were happening when we passed through were already here. I mean, this this simulacrum was separated how long ago? Oh, many, many years ago. A long, long time. So these people with the different pieces probably weren't aware of each other. So that means these happenstances, these occurrences, these missions of the Major probably occur everywhere. Yes. That's uh, a bit heavy for this evening, I think, Simon. I'm going to go for the first night in quite a while. Have a look at the stars. And I'm going to go up to the patio. Simon, would you care to share a a bottle of ale with me? I I don't drink. You don't drink? Of course you don't. Of course you don't. But uh, I'll take some of this. I'll take this pitcher of tea right here with me. How's that work? I like iced tea. Let's sit for a bit. Calm before the storm and all that. You got everything like I do. All your luggage and your uh, effects, correct? I, I believe so, for the most part, anyway. Did you manage to retrieve yours? Yeah, the Major made a point of grabbing the trunk. 
You've known the Major a long time, haven't you? The Major was a captain back in the war, and he was my captain. Did you know that he he was part of this... I don't even know what you'd call it. Did you know that he dealt with this kind of thing before? Have you, have, have you dealt with this kind of thing before? I suppose it's a s- stupid question, I've, I, I, or s- stupid of me never to have asked the question before. But... No. No, um, during the war, I, I took care of things, but that was mostly like uh, what you'd expect when, you know, they asked you to go um, bring someone in for an interrogation or something like that, find a scout, you know, you, you dealt with people, uh, the soldiers, but nothing like this. Did you know that this was the kind of business he was he was in? No, I didn't know he was in this business. What he told me initially for this is we were to get these items together. Something was to be done with them. I figure something scientific because we are in an age of science. And then they had to be destroyed because they were... Uh, danger like some kind of weapon which makes sense to me i mean you've seen the bombs and the bigger guns and things just keep getting bigger so this could have be this simulacrum for all i know is some kind of bomb or or maybe it's like one of those those movies with robots you know the the black and whites the silent pictures well i i suppose i suppose it would make sense to keep you in the dark to some extent need to know basis and, and all that to, just to see how you how you dealt with it but he must have known he must have known at some point that we would encounter things beyond our ken you know I mean, what have we seen on our journey here from London I mean even on the ferry over uh, uh, from Dover you know that that thing that, that thing that burnt the hole in the on the deck. That. that was the first. I mean, Turks and fezzes burning down the professor's house. Well, that, that makes sense, you know, in a strange way. But the thing on the ferry, you said you encountered something in uh, the, the hospital, right? Which turned out to be the Comte, I think, from what you were saying. We didn't know it at the time, but I, I, it was. I, I'm sure it was. I, we didn't know what we were dealing with. I didn't believe it at the time. I didn't. I couldn't believe it. But now, I'll be candid with you, Simon. This this journey has, uh, has changed my opinions on a lot of things. I've, I've seen things that I wouldn't have credited it with existence before. But you, you can't deny, you can't deny what you what you see with your own two eyes, eh? No, I had my granny and other family members and elders tell us stories, of course. But you think that even though they talk about monsters and so on, that these could be like parables, like from the Bible and stuff. I uh, cautionary tales and keep children in their place. Exactly. I mean, they, they talk about this stuff, and some of that, some of that stuff's real. I mean. Ghosts? We've seen ghosts. Well, maybe that's why maybe that's why he chose you for this mission. Maybe because he knew that you'd got that you got that culture, you got that that upbringing. Maybe he knew that you might understand better than other men exactly what it was you were up against. Maybe he, he knew that you would have an open mind 
that you would have some sort of training is not the right word, but you know, you, you might have some sort of inkling, some sort of idea of how to deal with this kind of horror when you came across it. I, I can't believe that he just picked you randomly, you know. Always thought he picked me because I followed orders. Well, I think in a mission like this, there's there's following orders and then there's using your initiative of being able to assess a situation and decide quickly and firmly what the best course of action to deal with it is. I've seen you do that. You know, I've seen seen you take assertive action immediate. You saw what was needed and you did it. No hesitation. You as well, Jim. I saw you save Maggie in Venice. Aye, I suppose. That That's why I, I trust you and Lady E the most. I'm sorry for what I said before. I was angry and, and uh, lost my temper and I didn't know what was happening with with the major and with this this the woman who called herself Mrs. Griffith. I presume she has been in similar situations before and had to deal with them. But well, the major talked to me about that. Mrs. Griffith was in our organization, and that's why she contacted us. But for some reason, he said she went rogue and made a call to remove the professor without anybody's knowledge, including his. And is she still in the wind, then? Uh, she is gone to ground, and I believe the last words I heard that she was in Cairo. That's a long way away, I suppose. But I think we should keep our eyes open for her. She clearly has her own agenda. I'm sorry I mistrusted you, Simon. I think, given where we are and given that what we are facing just now, I think it's more important now than any other time to trust each other because we're going to have to rely on each other. I agree, and um, I appreciate that. I wasn't trying to hide stuff from you, but... No, I know, I know. I was just frustrated. It's Well, it's a kind of stealthy operation. You know, the less we know, the less chance of secrets getting out and all that. I suppose. I Well, that's the military way, isn't it? Need to know basis, and we're mushrooms. I indeed I. So, your granny used to tell you tales of uh, ghosts and goblins and that. Uh, was it you called them haints? Haints, that's what they called them, but she and also uh, my grandpa would talk about the knockers. Why don't you tell me? Tell, tell me a tale back from, uh, back from your home. Tell me a tale. Knockers are from, they actually come from England, you know that? from southwestern England. All right. Interesting. But uh, the knockers are like goblins or fairies that live down deep in dark places. And you leave them little offerings, tokens, like food, maybe half a, an apple cake or, you know, a shot of whiskey or something like that. And if there's a dangerous tunnel or if there's going to be a gas leak, they'll start rapping on the walls and you know to get out of there. It's a warning. But if you don't leave the offerings, if you don't pay homage to them, well, they're the ones who will bring the cave, the cavern, the uh, mine tunnel down on you. Hmm. My mischievous wee sprites. Eh? 
you have fair stories, don't you? You're even up in Scotland. Oh, I. Oh, if, I mean, I could, I could talk your arm off all night about uh, stories we have up north. I. But it's getting late. It's getting late. Maybe we should uh, take the opportunity to to rest up as much as we can. We have a long day ahead of us tomorrow. Indeed, you do. So upstairs, but not on the roof where Lady Elizabeth is enjoying the rest of her evening. Secure on the second floor are several bedrooms, one of which holds Miss Bellinger, um, who is likely dutifully preparing her space, as she always would, inspecting the wound on her arm that is trying to heal. I would imagine that if Richard were waking at this point, sorry, I meant to say uh, Fabiano Toscano, was waking at this moment, he might even hear like a sharp intake of breath, maybe a gasp from Maggie working on, let's say a leg now. You hear noise, the sound of pain coming, like an, an obviously pained Maggie. Yeah, so Professor, your your movements here to Constantinople have been anything but regular. Although there was a nice automobile, which Miss Bellinger drove to get you here. You've been afforded time to get into the safe house and with your items. You've even had um, tea and sandwiches, which has been superiorly helpful in preparing you for a little bit of relaxation before the, the last leg of what you believe, at least everybody else around you believes, is the end of this journey. And so you've been getting ready to, to perhaps do some study of your own or perhaps investigate something further with um, the device. Uh, but either way, you begin to hear sounds of, of pain, a strange sort of sound. It sounds like pain, at least at first, and then maybe it doesn't. It's very strange. It's coming from Miss Bellinger's room. Small whimpers. Hmm. I think Richard would def definitely want to check this out to see what's happening. Please do. Uh, Richard will knock on the door. Uh, go occupied. Um, go. I'm busy. Uh, who? Who is it? Um, Maggie, you. Uh, um, there's some odd noises coming from your room. Richard, are you alone or is someone with you? Um, he, he looks behind him just to make sure there's nobody there. Yeah, you're definitely alone. Uh, no, no, it's it's just me. I think. Hurry up! You can come in. Right. Uh, okay. Is is the door unlocked? Well, I check the handle, Richard. It's probably. I don't think I locked it. Just come in. Right. Okay. Okay. No, Richard will open the door. And you open the door, and the sight that you see before you is Maggie is sat on a, a, a stool in the room, and she has hiked up one of her. Hyped up her skirt over one leg and it's all pulled all the way up to the top of one thigh and she has the dagger that she got in the caves in one hand and the other hand is putting pressure on this large gash that she has just carved into her thigh. Quick, Richard, grab grab the leg, grab the simulacrum leg for me. Oh, um, you, you appear to have slipped. I, what, what, what on earth were you doing? Richard, it will be fine. Just grab me the leg. And I'm gesturing with the knife pointing at the, the leg. I should get Paul, I think. Um, that's that's looking a little bit... Um... No, Richard, do not tell Paul. You, that, 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 that's going to get infected. Richard, it will be absolutely fine. Just give me the leg. 
we, 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 we um, no, no, um, let, let me put some pressure on it for you. If I, if I push the two halves together, it should stop it from bleeding and, and getting any worse. Okay, but, but can you grab that first? Right, right let, let's, let, let's deal with the leg first. And Richard will go over and, um, he's really conflicted at the minute because he's got uh, this this vision of Maggie, her leg up on this this stool, and and obviously probably more exposed than he'd like. Even the the upper leg would be a, a little bit too much, probably. And, and yet there's this sort of large cut, and uh, yeah, he's uh, but but he also wants to help, so he's gonna gonna wander over and uh, try and assist. Yeah, probably by getting his handkerchief out and and trying to sort of put it over and push the wound back together, whilst um, also trying to look in the other direction, doing the, the very proper thing. You attempt all of those things. Attempt is the right word. Um, so I just, my question is, is what what is Richard's first aid exactly? He stops this wound from bleeding. It's going to be dangerous because I'm going to have to cut again to just try again. And then is your plan, if rightly remembered, to stop the bleeding or at least get something out of the wound and then deliver the, the simulacrum leg to her? He's not answered that question, but he, uh, so he's just walked in and it looks like Maggie's just cut herself for some reason really badly so he's trying to help her put it back together he's got no idea what this business with the simulacrum is I have this picture in my head of Richard coming over and trying not to look at Maggie's exposed body trying to use his handkerchief to, to stem the flow of blood Maggie is absolutely frustrated with Richard because all she wanted was him to grab the leg that she accidentally left over there and bring to her so he's got her leg in his arms and she's leaning over to try to grab the simulacrum leg and reaching for it as he's holding onto her leg. All right, so Richard's first aid is? 30. Fantastic. Give us a roll. Oh, zero seven. Oh, fantastic. Or at least it would have certainly been fantastic if I wasn't playing this hand of fate against you. Oh. So that'll be a failure, Professor. Um, so while I've never done this before, I am uh, eminently confident in her skills. Miss Bellinger, would you please narrate how bad this failure is for him and how it affects you? Oh, I think he, because he, he's not looking, which is is dangerous. And I think he goes to, to like try to get his hand over it to apply pressure. And he puts the fingertips right into this several inch long gash that Maggie has carved into her, her leg. And he can feel the muscles start to like press against his fingers as her leg flexes it causing like a jerking motion just absolutely ripping Maggie's leg open yeah it's um pretty terrible professor maybe you were just just not awake when, when you heard this strange noise and you came in here and all of a sudden this strange scene was playing out it, it can't possibly be your fault you worked really hard to get this handkerchief in place but it, it just wouldn't fit all the way or you couldn't get your fingers all the way around Maggie's upper thigh and then just calamity ensues afterwards. Blood is now streaming down her leg. Miss Bellinger, you take a point of damage. But clearly, Miss Bellinger, you now know that there's n enough blood now that you need to get to the piece. This is the only way you can find your salvation, your sucker, your pleasant space. That, that space in your mind, you must find a way to get there again. When this happens, Maggie sort of grabs like whatever clothing she can and shoves it into her mouth to bite down on so she doesn't scream and alert everyone else as her leg has been ripped open further. And then she is just 
violently grabbing, lunging for the simulacrum leg to place over the wound. Okay. So that it can, we can once again be connected. It can absorb my life force. I can absorb its life force. It'll be beautiful. (laughs) Yes, indeed. So you place two bloody hands on this simulacrum leg, having bowled the professor out of the way. And you press that almost porcelain appearing leg onto your own. And you feel for the first time that that release, the release from those shackles of pain. And I'm going to have you roll a D8. That's a one. Oh, okay. So you simply take a single point of MP loss, which you would have recovered during the, the day. So... Yeah, you're only down one. It's not as good as it was the first time. For whatever reason, like, the blood, it's not doing the thing that it's supposed to do. And you become aware of the fact that, like, it's like a roller coaster, Miss Bellinger. And you thought that the hill was going to be big and you were going to get a long, deep dive from the roller coaster. But all you get is a little bump. And so it's kind of disappointing. And now you're bleeding all over the place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, 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 we must, we must sort this out. I, I, what, what are you doing? Um, it's you're, you're bleeding everywhere. Richard, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll be fine. There's plenty of blood in the human body. And besides, this, I, this wasn't, it didn't work as well this time. It felt so much better last time. Last time? Richard, just grab, grab, grab the other body parts. We have to do it again. We have to do more. We, if we can do all of them tonight, if we want to. What are you talking about last time? Richard, I lost them. I lost them when we were in prison and I have to get them back. And, and this is, this was the only way that I could think of. They, I have to connect with them again, Richard. They're here, aren't they? You, you have them. Yes, but the threads, the, the threads, Richard, you talked about the threads. They were separated when we were separated. Right. But, but 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 what is this last time? Uh, Richard, I, it's it's no bother. I've already been connected to the arm and one of the arms and now the leg. And and now we just have a few more pieces to go, Richard. It'll be fine. Just Oh, that's a lot of blood, Richard. Yes, I know. We should I I'm going to I'm going to get Paul. I I I put myself between Richard and the door and I'm holding the knife and I say, "Do not go get Paul." Richard looks shocked and that uh, shocked and sort of jumps back a bit. Um, uh, I, I, come on, see sense. We, we, we tried with the copper bracelet and the wire and, um, I, I don't understand. When, when, when did this change? Yes, just think of this as another copper bracelet, Richard. No, I mean, the idea was to disconnect you. Remember with the arm in the plant pot and, 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 and all of our experiments, it was to, to, uh, to, to isolate you and insulate you from this thing, not, not, not to, um... Not to encourage it. I mean, this. Have you learned these lessons from the Comte? Is this. Is, is he still alive? No, not at all, Richard. You are there. I. Look, sometimes in order to get to the other side of the mountain, you have to go further into the tunnel. I'm not familiar with this. Would you. Would you make me an, uh, an idea roll, Professor? Yes. 58 under 60, so just about a pass. Indeed, not a um, Delta Green game, so we don't worry about the measure of success for how close you are to um, the actual number. But I will say this, Professor, this sounds a lot like you. Ooh. This is an experiment. 
she's running an experiment. And then you sort of had this strange flashback to when other people were telling you, like Mr. Fraser, to stop using the device. And you would implore them that you needed to continue to do scientific experiments. You needed to understand how it works. And while this isn't scientific, you realize that Maggie is doing what you were doing. She's experimenting. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with it, but you, the um, the logical part of your professorial brain, recognizes that she's just she's testing things. Now, you don't want her to bleed out all over the floor, clearly, but you understand why she's doing it. Richard is conflicted. He, he knows that at least he didn't try and shout at Maggie a lot, unlike uh, Mr. Fraser. Maybe, maybe he should have tried that, because that did seem to work. So the professor thinks to himself, well... On, on one side of the scales, he, he definitely doesn't want Maggie to hurt herself and, and bleed out. But on the other side, there, there, there is this scientific discovery. Yeah. He just stands there waiting for Maggie to say something. You can see the resistance is sort of gone and he's thinking. He's deep in thought. Richard, if you're concerned about me, then the best thing that you can do would be to help me and make sure that I don't hurt myself more than is necessary. Right, but um, is the knife absolutely necessary? Have you, have you done with that part now? I'm not entirely sure you could survive a lot more. Well, I don't know. Um, oh, the knife specifically. I mean, this is the knife that I found in the cave, so we could do it with another knife. No, no, I mean, um, are you done with the cutting? I mean, there seems to be enough blood all over the place now. I mean, I'm not quite sure how much you can afford to lose. Oh, I think I have to do one for each part. My. Are you worried that I've lost too much and that I need to wait until tomorrow to do the rest. Um, I believe it would take a couple of weeks to recover from a, a significant loss of blood. We don't have that kind of time, Richard. But if you're here to watch me, then if something were to happen, if I would lose consciousness, perhaps, or then you could go get Paul. But in the meantime, you could stay and you could help, and then you could make sure that I didn't bleed too much. Oh, dear. Um... You do seem to be somewhat committed to this idea. Please, Richard. Well, okay, but um, the moment you get a little paler or pass out or if you start screaming again, I, I'm going to have to get Paul. I mean, whatever you're planning, I mean, you can take an experiment too far. I, I If you're dead, then, well, I mean, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, that would be very unfortunate. I promise that if, if, I, if I look ill at all, that you can go fetch Paul. Well, I, I'm, you, you look quite ill already, but um, I, if, you, if you get any worse... I feel fine, though, Richard. If I get worse, if I start to feel woozy or lose consciousness, then that would be appropriate time for you to get Paul. And would you feel better if you held the knife instead of me holding the knife, if it was you the one doing the cutting so you know it's safe? Um, I'm afraid I don't think I could do that, but... um. Okay, well, you can just watch me then, Richard. Uh, I tell you what, I'll I'll sit over here and I will on occasion glance over to make sure you're okay. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I can, uh, I, I would have to stop you, you understand. I don't, don't, don't push me too far. That's perfectly fine, Richard. You stay over there and I'll be over here. Now, what should we do next? The arm or... I was thinking perhaps the torso. I have another leg too. Just pick one, and I'll, I'll I'll look over on occasion. I, I, I uh, being a party to this makes my 
flesh crawl, if you'll excuse the expression. I, I can't can't tell you how to hurt yourself. That, that's just, just wrong. Well, don't worry, Richard. It'll be over quick, I'm sure. All right, Miss Billinger. What part of your body shall we go next? Well, Richard's here, and I kind of wanted to go for the abdomen, but I think he would faint if Maggie exposed her abdomen to him. <laughs> Which may be good, because then I could do the rest of my experiment without him here. But instead, I'll just, I'll ease him into it. I'll go for the other arm, perhaps a nice bicep, because I think, feel like that's, you know, if I get up here, it's not going to bleed as much, maybe. And, and then Richard can, like, chill out. Okay. So you are going to make a cut into the, the right bicep, right? Maybe, maybe just enough to get it to to bleed. That dagger you have is exceedingly sharp. And so you take a moment and then you cut yourself and take another point of damage. Okay. The, that feeling of blood flowing out of your body is sort of the precipice of intoxication for you now. I'm going to say at this point, Richard remembers the the cave where, where he played King uh, King Arthur, where we had the, the whole night scene. I don't know if you remember, but at that time, Richard started to get a fascination with bodies and body parts and things. He did. And the smell of the blood, I think, is enough to set him off again. So he's in a really bad position because he's kind of he's got this smell of blood again which he's it, it sort of reminded him of the caves which has sort of reignited this ooh it's a, it's a bit interesting sort of thing so he's he's really kind of nervously watching Maggie wanting to look away but also not being able to at the same time if it was someone else it would be easier but uh, and you just see Richard sort of looking in absolute terror unable to look away mm, wonderful so you're going to bleed all over this right arm. As soon as your fingertips come in contact with the right arm piece, you feel a strange vibrating force on the palms and fingertips of your hand. There's almost a hum to this piece as you bleed onto it. You realize that as you work the piece back and forth, try to coat it with your blood, you realize that the blood on your hands is cleaning off. Is it like the arm is like, is it absorbing the blood, does it seem like? It certainly seems so. It seems that it's absorbing it and you become entranced the facets of the way this arm is designed, right? So if we, we go into the Wayback Machine and think back in our memories when the simulacrum is first described, you see this long bicep and forearm and then the the actual adornments of the simulacrum are essentially smaller versions in a pattern of the arm itself. And so in each one of these little bends where the elbow would be, little rivulets of blood are collecting there and then seeping into the metal themselves. Because while it might look like porcelain, it feels like metal. This is very interesting indeed, Richard. I, the others, I don't remember them absorbing. It's like it's drinking it. Roll a d8. I won't make any power rolls. Unnecessary at this point. Just roll a d8. Two. So that feels twice as good as what it did previously. 
And now, like, all you want to do is feed this thing more blood. Oh, absolutely. I don't, I don't think it would hurt if I, if I just a, a little bit more and I'll, the, in that same open wound, I'll open it up a little, a little deeper, a little further. It's absolutely fascinating, Richard, just from the, um, the study of someone who's, who is interested in that sort of phase, phased out approach of death. She's going to start walking towards the edge of blood loss. And the fascination sort of takes you over again. And you really wonder how, how close to the edge could she walk? What could be learned there? I think he's interested in sort of monitoring this situation with a, a different set of eyes. Truly. Mm. And what eyes might those be? Probably the, uh, I don't know, the rose and the, uh, I think probably the green one. Hmm. Very well. We all know how this works. Make a power roll, sir. Ooh, 58. That's a, that's a good pass. Good. Green lens. Uh, so this is supremely interesting. I think the thing that your brain would equate it to would be ants. And so what you begin to see is the flow of those, the weave itself. Those threads appear on the air, intertwined into Maggie, and at each piece that she has bled on or that has touched her leaves a different magnification of green threads into and out of them. And you can tell that every time blood comes out of her body or she presses that wound to try to bleed on it more, the threads are brighter near the wound. And then as they go into the piece, they dim. But there is this burst of energy every time a new, I don't want to say glut, but we'll say um, rivulets are poured back over the piece. It's like this piece is drinking all of that in, and it seems to be trying to store it. How are the threads looking from Maggie without the arm? So he's going to try and use the threads as some kind of indication as to how alive she is. Well, Miss um, Bellinger has a fair amount of hit points. She's probably lost two or three at this point, just as a technical exercise. So she's got much more that she can give. Richard's kind of using this as his fuel gauge, should we say. Certainly, she has likely quite a bit in her tank left. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave the two of you playing in Maggie's blood as our walkaway shot for this episode of Horror on the Orient Express. I certainly hope all of you are working on your first aid skills even now. So thank you for listening and thank you for joining us on this Constantinople Crusade episode of Horror on the Orient Express. We greatly appreciate your listening ears. Thank you and good night.